You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. It is the week before Lent starts, and last week we talked about fasting. We talked about the importance of it. We talked about the ways in which it was used in the Bible, and I kind of put maybe heavy on you what's been heavy on me. I've just sensed God calling at least me, perhaps I think all 1208, into a season of fasting. And I know we do that every year with Lent, but I know that it can go by and we can... Um, completely ignore it. Our church isn't super traditional or liturgical, so I know we often have not had a a huge focus on it throughout the years. Uh, But I felt like this year it was really important to kind of lean in. And um, I got a chance to go out to Asbury this last week and kind of see what was going on there. And uh, I felt kind of the continuation on my heart of God kind of setting up fasting within this whole kind of revival-esque type thing that's going on. I feel, and this is at least just for me, I'm not saying that this is the only implication of what God is doing at Asbury and at other places around the world. I feel like part of what God might be doing right now is calling people into this revival of the heart, um, because that's a lot of what Asbury has been like. I mean, going to check it out myself... I've been to the crazy revivals. I've seen people sprawled out across the floor everywhere, shaking around. I've seen the gifts of the Spirit crazy at work. And that's not what Asbury was like. It was very unpolished. Uh, It was just a few people with instruments, but then 1,800 people filling the room with lines out the door of people who just want to get there and repent and renew their hearts and worship God. And that was a very unique kind of revival. And I think Asbury is a perfect place for it to be happening among uh, students and scholars alike who are especially kind of leaning into that heart posture right now. And I think they're, they're going until about Wednesday this week, which is Ash Wednesday. Uh, and then after that, I think they're limiting it to just kind of students at, at that point. But even this weekend, there's like Five, maybe two to five thousand people just lined up out the door trying to get in. Um, and I, I feel like God wants to use that as spectacle to get the intention of us around the states to call us to repent. And it, it's interesting that um, it, it's only for students come Wednesday because that's, that's exactly a spot where we lean into the desert, where Jesus is compelled by the Spirit to go out in the desert and fast. And then the empowerment revival comes later of Pentecost, uh, which, which follows uh, our Easter time. And so right now, I want us to kind of enter into that space that we've done here at 1208 before of repenting and joining with that revival, getting our hearts right with God, being chased into the desert to be tested and to see uh, how we might be uh, worthy of, of the empowerment that follows. And a lot of times in revivals, all of our focus is on empowerment. And that can actually be dangerous. I mean, you see in the Bible that empowerment isn't like a solid life is good now. I'm getting into uh, following Jesus exactly as I should and things like that. In fact, Jesus talks to his disciples and said, some of them are going to come up to me and be like, hey, Jesus, we know you. You're you're Jesus. And Jesus could be like, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
In other words, Jesus saw a paradigm where people got the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and yet still didn't follow him, continued to work spiritual gifts, but their heart posture never changed, and they just continued on in sin doing whatever they want. And Jesus actually saw that as a condemning moment on the day of judgment. And so starting right now with the repentance, that's, that's key. That's key. And that was the word that we got a year ago. There are cherry blossoms for 1208. Cherry blossoms are a symbol of renewal. You need to repent and be filled with gifts. So I want to continue to invite you while I'm preaching, think about the kinds of things that you will want to give up for Lent. And don't think what is going to be your greatest health benefit. Jesus certainly wasn't healthy while he was draining away in the desert, nor were the other people who were fasting. They were looking too fast to, to really seek after God. Figure out what that kind of thing is that he wants you to give up. And be smart about it, too. Some of you are thinking in your mind, oh, there's this sin that I've been committing, and I, I just want to get rid of that one. So I'm going to fast from my sin that I can never stop sinning over. You're probably not going to be able to just stop that because it's Lent, because you've been trying to stop that forever. Yes, honey? What fasting is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we have kids here too. So fasting, fasting is when you take something and you stop doing it for a time in order to fill that time up with Jesus. So um, for Jesus, he found fasting from food was one thing that he could say, I'm going to say no to food, which is going to force me to say yes to God. But other people have given up all kinds of things. There was one year where I gave up pop. I love pop, and now every time throughout the day where I was like, I want to have pop, I would stop and say, no, I said I was going to give that up for Jesus, and now I'm just going to pray every time that I think I want pop, I'm going to say, Jesus, I love you. What can I do for you better today? So fasting is, is getting rid of something, but then as Mark has preached in the past, it's replacing it with something too. So if there's something um, that you're getting rid of, then when you want that thing, you're going to think about about God instead and want that more so for Jesus for him he, he he was extreme but he gave up food for a while and he said when I think I want to eat I'm instead going to praise my father and chase after him so that's that's kind of what fasting is like so it might be something like video games <clears throat> Beckett you might want to give up video games to say every time I think about playing video games for these 40 days, I'm instead going to pray for a little bit or think about Jesus. Or it might be um, all other kinds of things that you like or enjoy. Maybe a toy, maybe all kinds of things. So for kids, that's a heads up on kind of how, how fasting works. But then if you're, uh, make sure that you're replacing something. Like Marcus said in the past, a lot of times you don't just get rid of something and then it's all good. You got to find a replacement thing for that thing. So um, you might have something that is a beneficial thing to do instead of that thing that was a negative thing to do. Uh, Mark has given the um, analogy before and it's escaping me. You have one principle, like one example. Yeah, that's the one. So there's an example out of Ephesians. Stop stealing, instead work to provide. So if you're giving up something and you want to stop it, try to find that replacement thing. It's opposite. Instead of hating, love. Instead of gossiping, 
learn to say good things about other people, things like that. Um, don't just kind of give it up and then don't think anything about it for the entire time that you're fasting and things like that. But as we get ready for that, one of the things that we are fasting into is because we are, we are praying into something. We want to come closer to God. We want to repent. We want to get our hearts right. And I want to talk a little bit about prayer this morning as you are entering into your fasting season. There are different kinds of prayer, and I'll be honest, when it comes to intercessory prayer, I am, um, I don't know that I would say I'm weak at it, but I get bored of it in the way that the church usually does it. Because when it comes to intercessory prayer, man, I've been in those services where we just pray the same thing over and over again for like 20 minutes straight, and it's like, Am I nervous God did not hear me the first time I said it? Like, <laughs> how often do I need to keep saying these same words? Jesus, would you just, oh, would you just make us better people? We just want to be better people. Would you, the betterness that we could be as people, would you make it? You know, like you just feel, have you been in that place before where you're cycling through the same words and, and different expressions? Jesus actually said, like, you know, some people pray as though you're lumping up words before God as though if you add more words into it, then he will finally hear you. And Jesus says, that's, that's not the way to do it. Your Father in heaven actually knows what you need and what you want, so just ask for it. That's, that's what prayer is. He doesn't want you to just, like, go on without talking to him about it. He wants to actually hear you say it. But don't get caught up in the intercessory kind of prayer where it's just like, if I lump enough words together, maybe my email to God will be long enough to say, oh, that's pretty urgent. I should check that. He hears you the first time. And so that's the kind of intercessory prayer that's difficult for me. The kind of prayer that works better for me is to have conversation with God. Because when I stop and listen back, he then gives me more to go off of so that I can continue my prayer in another direction. And that is a biblical portrait of what we call the divine counsel in the Bible. In the Bible, there is a glimpse. We've talked about this before, so I won't go super into detail about it. There's a glimpse of God bringing all of his heavenly family into his court and having conversations with them to sort out matters on the earth. And so he, he often will make like an ultimatum. God will say, here's this thing I want to do. King Ahab, for example, I want him to go, but I haven't decided how he's going to go. What do you guys think? And then all the angels kind of come forward and they bring different plans. And eventually one of the family members of the heavenly family of God comes up and says, here's what I'm thinking. And God says, I like that one. And that will actually get the job done. That will do exactly what I was hoping would happen it would get rid of King Ahab. So what this guy said right here, that's the one we're going to do. Listen to that. And so the angels carry out an ultimatum that God set, but they do it in a form that the angels had sorted out. Same thing happens with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he's told about a verdict that's coming his way, that if he won't humble himself, he's going to face some really weird psychological episodes that are about to come up. And when the angels relate this to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, they say, this is by our decree. In other words, the angels decided that this is what was going to happen, but it's been signed off on by God. Now, 
In the Old Testament, these kinds of beings that made these kinds of decisions are known as the sons of God. They're a part of God's heavenly family. In the New Testament, there are new sons of God that enter the divine council, and it is human beings. So when I say sons of God, I mean daughters and sons. We're talking about male and female human beings. You guys in the New Testament are the replacement plan for all of the old angels that have fallen. You are the new family of God that will take their place. And so the New Testament doesn't talk lowly about Christians. It does talk about Christians living lowly. But as far as your place in this world is, you are a part of the divine council. You are a part of God's heavenly throne room. And so when you pray you are more or less walking into that throne room and joining in with some of the decision-making processes of what God's wanting to happen. So what are you praying about? What are you praying about for this church? What are you praying about for, for Jackson? Are you putting it on the radar of the throne room of God? You know, I'm not Catholic or Orthodox, and I don't love the mentality of praying to saints because I don't understand why I wouldn't just go to the Holy Spirit and skip over the saints. But I do understand what Catholics and Orthodoxes, Orthodoxes, <laughs> Orthodoxies mean when they uh, pray to saints. Essentially what they're doing is they're not worshiping saints. They're thinking, all right, there was a saint in the history of the church who was known for healing. And so I am going to ask that saint, now that they're in God's divine counsel in heaven, I'm going to ask them, since they're known for healing, to ask God if I can be healed. That's the way that they're thinking. They're thinking in divine counsel context. They're already up there in that room, right there with God. Maybe I'll ask them to take my plea before God. Now, as Christians or evangelicals, I mean, we usually just like go straight to the Holy Spirit because he's the one who's going to do it anyways. Uh, but in their thinking, they're using that divine counsel context. Ask someone to ask God to do something. That's what we do with the Holy Spirit. He wants to hear your thoughts. He wants to make deals with you. Does that sound weird? When you look throughout the Bible, you see people make deals with God. God, if you do this, I will do this. Hannah in the Old Testament, God, if you will give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. Hannah then, after years and years of being unable to get pregnant, gets pregnant, raises the child, weans the child, and gives the child to the tabernacle to be raised uh, within God's presence. Anybody know who that child ended up being? Yeah. You remember? Go ahead. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus is often found in the tabernacle. But in the Old Testament, Hannah raises up uh, Samuel. But that was a good guess right there. Samuel. Samuel ends up being a deal that Hannah had with God. And as crazy as that deal sounds to us of giving a child over to the tabernacle, Samuel ends up being honored by God out of that deal. And Samuel actually is like he starts the whole prophethood that comes about in the Old Testament. God blesses Samuel for that great sacrifice that Hannah made, that God made this deal with. 
And then Hannah was blessed after that. She was able to have another child where she wasn't able to do that before. Have you ever made a deal with God that he honored? Sometimes he's eager to do it. I remember I was working on this deliverance with somebody once, and um, I just had this heavy on my heart for a few days, but it sounded crazy to me. Whenever I would try to talk to this person to try to get this demon out, the demon was always in their mind, countering every single thing that I would say, and then twisting my words to say it to them back differently. So I would say one thing, and I'd see it get filtered through the demon and into their mind and come back at me a different way. And it would always be this negative self-talk kind of stuff, and I just... I just be beside myself. How can I bypass this demon so that I can work with the person as they actually are without all my words being twisted all the time? So I came and I said, I feel like we need to make a deal with God here. We need to make a deal where we say, God, if you will remove this demon for a time so that we can have a clear conversation and talk well and heal, then we will passionately, extravagantly spend a a large amount of time within that framework of it going to really move forward and, and get better. And I said, what do you think? Should we make that deal? And the person actually saw the demon like leave in that moment and just felt the Holy Spirit like shaking his head saying, that's the deal. We're making that deal. Let's do that deal. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, we haven't even agreed on the deal yet, but the Holy Spirit is apparently into this deal. So let's follow this deal. Sure enough, they left. The symptoms that they were causing left. The words that I would say were not getting twisted anymore. I could tell that I was just talking straight to the person, even though they had to still change and renew their mind to not think these demon thoughts. I was not dealing with more than one entity at the same time. It was, it was this huge break and relief, and we were able to actually get at what we needed to take care of. Now, if I hadn't done that, hadn't tried to make a prayerful deal with God and enter the divine council in that way, I'd still be dealing with it because those things were a pain. Do you pray in that way? Where you come before God and say, here's something in my life that I think I need to do, but I feel like I need to give something up in order to do it. In this case, it was time. It was energy. I'll give up time and energy if you will reach out in this way. Do you enter God's divine counsel when you pray? Moses did it. Moses walked right up on a mountaintop where God was and entered his divine counsel in that space and spoke with God all the time. Often the angel of God, who in the Old Testament was God, he would descend in the pillar of fire walk into the tabernacle and have a face-to-face -face conversation with Moses. And Moses always needed to kind of intercede on his people's behalf and pray on their behalf and, 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 and stop God from, from coming at them. Because Israel, man, time and time again, they would just do the wrong thing or be moody about what God was calling them to do. You think they would have been super grateful for being free from slavery, but instead they're always like, let's just go back. It's better than this. Better than following God. We don't know where he's taking us or what he's doing. They were just constantly going the wrong way. And so Moses would have to enter into the divine council, would have to enter into God's space and say, all right, can you, can you take it easy on these people? I know you said that like you're, you're tired of them, 
but I would like to ask that you show some grace and mercy right now. And I'm asking that because I know that you are a gracious and merciful God and that you want to do that. And God would agree. Okay, my plan was to do this, but now I will do this. Brian, can you bring me one of those forms too when you're done? And so um, Moses would enter into the divine council, into God's space to talk to him and make decisions. Thank you. And he would ask God to meet them in, in uh, those places and, and make decisions. He would pray in that kind of way. What is your prayer life like? Because in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to seek, to knock on God's door. And if we actually come to him and we knock, we'll find in the Gospels, Jesus several times talks about pray for something and expect to receive it in faith. And I know that's hard for us because how many times have we prayed for something and it hasn't been met? I know that's hard for us because how many times have we, we had the faith and yet we didn't see what we were praying for happen? I know that's hard because we've seen through our own lives that this world is broken enough that passages like that don't have a 100% success rate. But the fact that Jesus seemed to over-embellish means that we should be living out that embellishment, that we should seek, that we should knock, that we should ask. And so what are the prayers that you've been asking over and over again? What are the prayers this church has lifted up over and over again? God, would you reach our community? Would you reach us? Uh, would you use us to reach them? Would you let heaven come to Jackson? Would you give us ideas as to how to serve people? Don't stop just because there's been times where you haven't seen those prayers answered. Don't stop just because some of those prayers were being answered and then the pandemic seemed to shut it down. Look at us now. We're still going. We're still here. Because we don't stop. Because we press into the words. Because we pursue the cherry blossom renewal. Because... We gather on Wednesday nights to worship regardless of who does or doesn't show up because we try to put our hearts in the right place because we don't stop, but we keep asking, we keep knocking. In fact, God tells you to be ridiculous in your requests. He gives a parable at one point. And he talks about somebody coming and knocking on someone's door at midnight and being like, hey, I need to make a sandwich. You got any bread? <laughs> And, and the Bible gives this image of like, what audacity to come and knock on somebody's door at midnight for a sandwich. Do you know what time of night it is? We're expecting the friend to be like, you know what? No, you cannot have bread. It is two in the morning, sir. Go home and go to bed. Our friendship is done. I cannot believe you had such ridiculousness to your request. Well, instead, Jesus' parable says, you know, that is a weird time to be asking for bread, but because that guy had the audacity to ask, surely the friend will go and get bread for him. Is that the way you pray? Do you pray your ridiculous, audacious requests? Do you step out in faith? I think we need to make a deal with God here that he kicks them out so that we can do something and see him meet you in that space. The divine counsel prayer worldview is that your words and your prayers actually make a difference in this world and you don't always know why 
You actually see that with uh, uh, C.S. Lewis captures it really well in The Magician's Nephew, one of his Narnia books. He, uh, the kids are about to pray for a meal, and they ask this Pegasus, like, why are we praying for this meal? Like, what's the point of that? Or why are we praying before we eat? Doesn't God know that we already need food? Doesn't Aslan know that? And the uh, Pegasus is just like, yeah, I think he knows, but I still think he likes to be asked. Sometimes it's just that simple. He knows what you need, but still he likes to be asked. You were made for relationship with him. You are not just slaves. That's the view of the other gods of ancient religion. God made you because he loves you, because he wants you to change this world around. And if you are meant to change this world around, then he wants to get your input as to how to do it. He shares. He co-labors with you. If he wanted to do it himself, he would have just done it. But instead, he looks to meet us in our space, hear our thoughts, and lean in. So as we get ready to fast, um, here's what we're calling you all to do. And I'm going to do something here that some of you are going to pretend to do. I get it. Pull out your phones. If you got one on you, pull out your phone. Go ahead. I'll give you two seconds. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's great. All right. And make an alarm for 12.08 every day. We're calling this our 1208 prayer initiative. It's been something intriguing. Whenever I tell people to pray for 1208 at 1208, people start seeing 1208 like every day after that point. Sometimes I see it twice a day, once at midnight and, and once at uh, noon. Um, but we're doing this, this prayer thing, starting it during Lent, but carrying it through the whole year. We've got a different prayer for 1208 every day of the week. And here's our audacious knocking on the door in the middle of the night. Here's our divine counsel stepping in to ask God to do something, kinds of prayers. Seeking, knocking, hoping that we'll find. On Mondays, we want you to pray that we may join in community with marginalized and disenfranchised people in Jackson so that we can provide social, emotional, physical, and spiritual support. That's your Monday prayer. And of course, if, if that kind of stuff is going to be provided to them, it's going to be provided because the church is offering it. Not church corporate, but church each one of us. On Tuesdays, we're asking that you pray that we may develop 26 new partners, or members is the term that we've used before, because we need that many more in order to become an official church society, which we are about seven years behind on doing within our conference that we would develop one new deacon which is a lay person that will represent our church on a conference level and one new local ministerial candidate which is someone who feels called to ministry within the free methodist church on wednesdays we're asking that you pray for the holy spirit to empower our congregants with spiritual gifts for ministry but also to grow fruit in us that's not just power but it's also character on Thursdays, we're asking that you uh, pray that the church would pay off all of our debt. And this is, this is our big knock on the door right here. We struggle to make a pretty bare minimum budget. We're asking that we can somehow go behind to pay off this building, which is a land contract of 30000 as well as the street that was just paved out here. Our taxes for that are another 5000 
We would love to pay off our debt of 35,000. And we know that's a big ask, and we know that this room cannot do that, but God can meet us, and so we're knocking on the door. On Fridays, we pray that you ask, and I feel like this is a really small goal here, so please feel free to embellish in your asking here, uh, that we might reach at least 10 new families, 10 lead 10 people to salvation, and baptize 10 people this year. But go big. Ask God for more than that. Saturdays, you'll ask that we surpass our 2023 bare-bones budget of $64,958. Realize I did not say $65,000. That's because our budget is so bare-bones, I'm giving you the actual number that it's $42 short of $65,000 because we don't have the money to just round off to a square number like that. Let's, let's pray that $42 should not make or break us. And then on Sunday, pray that... Uh, the Spirit would show us tangible ways, uh, ways to, to serve our community. Now you're going to have other prayer requests come up on your heart. Pray those too. In fact, give them to me at some point so I can kind of keep record of the kinds of things that God's putting on your heart to pray for 1208. I want those things. Uh, but right now, we are going to add to our prayer the Lenten uh, custom of fasting. And God may have put something on your heart in this time, so here's what we're going to end our service with. In the back corner, there's a cross. Uh, many of you have probably tried this tradition before, this little practice. On your table are papers, uh, tiny papers, and pens. You're going to write down on that paper what you are fasting from, and then you're going to go over to that cross and take a, a thumbnail, thumbnail, thumbtack, whatever, a thumb, a what? Push a push pin. Thank you, Murray. <laughs> Take a push pin and push pin uh, your, your fasting, what you're fasting from to the cross. I realize some of you want to be super anonymous, and if, you, if that's the case, go ahead and close it up and just push pin it to the cross. The reason I kind of would like it to be open is because I want that cross to be out there during Lent, so that you can see what other people are fasting from, so it can encourage you, so that it can lift you up, and so that you can pray for others as they're fasting. Don't write your name on it. We don't wanna, um, we want the anonymousness of what you're doing to be between you and Jesus. But if Jesus gives you permission to share what you're fasting from by leaving it open, just leave it open. The other thing you're gonna find on that back table after you do that is our 1208 prayer card. Uh, we've got about 200 of them, so take as many as you need from your family. And take that home and put it somewhere where you will see it every day, so when the 1208 goes off on your um, alarm, you'll, you'll remember what we're praying for as a corporate body on that day. There's also cherry blossom stickers. You're welcome to grab one of those if you want to take that to put it somewhere to remind you as well of the renewal that we're, we're pressing into. So go ahead and take a moment and write that down as I say a prayer. God, we're putting our hearts on the line here. We are knocking hard at the door. We are asking for big things. And we are fasting into it. And God, some of us at some point uh, might end up breaking that fast. We know there's grace in that. We ask that any of us that experience those weak moments that you would strengthen us to pick it up and keep going after. 
Likewise, God, there may be some here that make a fast that maybe was um, possibly uh, too much for them to be able to handle. In which case, would your spirit meet with them, if it is too much at some point, to teach them how to adapt their fast to be something that is uh, reasonable and attainable, but not so reasonable that it doesn't, doesn't hurt us to, to push us forward. So teach us. Teach us what to do. Our hearts are yours over these 40 days. And uh, we now lay it uh, right on the cross that we are crucifying pieces of ourself that they might be filled with life uh, starting this, uh, this Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to play just a little instrumental music here. During this time, feel free to take it. Uh, push pin it to the cross. Grab the prayer card. If you want a cherry blossom sticker, you can grab that as well. Thanks.